I struggled a bit going back and forth between a couple of themes for today, realizing some months ago that the 4th of July would be on a Sunday. And I thought about coming to some passages or a theme that might seem to some more appropriate, but it really began looking at themes that the Lord had placed upon my heart. And last week when I started talking about holiness and then looking at the 4th of July and our nation, quite honestly, I can't think of anything our nation needs right now more than a dose of holiness. We'll take two. Last week, I talked about where holiness begins. And we talked about it begins with the reverence of God's name, the name of God. And we looked at the Lord's Prayer where it said, hallowed be thy name. And can we, as his people, move in a way and live in such a way that all that we do, all that we say, all that we are, demonstrates we honor his name. And we talked about that. And today, I want to make it personal and talking about the personal impact of holiness. And probably, especially for church folk that have been studying their Bibles for any length of time, what is a very familiar passage from the book of Isaiah chapter 6, when this whole topic got real for the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 6, I'll begin reading in verse number 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two, he covered his face. Two, he covered his feet. And two, he flew, and one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house filled with smoke. So I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a live coal, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. Amen. Again, last week we talked about where holiness begins with a desire related to the name of God, with a passion that it be lifted up in everything that I do and everything that I say that his name would be honored and respected. It seems fitting for me to move from the generic overarching concept of, what, of where holiness begins to the impact 
it has on us personally. What does holiness mean for my life? What, how will it affect my view of the world? How will it affect my view of other people? How will it affect my view of me? What is the impact when we truly understand and allow ourselves to come face to face with the holiness of God? Isaiah was a different kind of prophet. If you look throughout the Old Testament, many of the prophets came from extremely humble beginnings. They were peasants or farmers or shepherds who were in their homes or in their fields or with their flocks, kind of minding their own business, where God comes along and says, i got a job for you to do. Isaiah was different. He came from a noble family. He was a statesman. He had access to the royal court of his day. God used him to speak to many of the kings in the southern kingdom of Judah, like Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. And yet God came to him and said, I've got a job for you to do. I have to stop there and just make it clear. God can use anybody. It doesn't matter what background you have. There isn't any background that disqualifies you from being used for God. And there isn't any background that makes you more able to be used by God. All that God requires is that you're available and willing for him to come into your life and direct your steps. God can use anyone. You don't need to be rich and have all the resources of heaven for God to use you. And being poor doesn't make you better for God. We get into trouble when we think that God moving has to move in this way or that way. That people need to be this or that before they're used by God. All that matters is that you're available. Like Isaiah. Now the vision came in the year that King Uzziah died. Chronologically, that's about 800 years before Christ comes onto the scene. Now Uzziah was one of the better kings for the most part, for most of his reign. He came to power when he was 16 and ruled for 52 years. Most people of his time only knew him and him only as their leader and king. And his reign began godly. He was victorious in battle. God had assisted him and strengthened him as he followed the Lord. He built towers and rebuilt the walls in Jerusalem. But sadly, his story doesn't end well. It ends on a sad note because Uzziah did what so many people in our culture and sadly so many people in the church try and do. He tried to play God. He tried to offer a sacrifice in one of the various ceremonies and offerings of the people of Israel that was reserved for the people who were Levites or priests. Now, how many know when God says do something this way, doing it that way, don't cut it. When God says, this is my plan A, he doesn't have a plan B. You do things his way or you do things the wrong way. And Uzziah tried to offer a sacrifice that only the priests could offer. And in the story in Second Chronicles, they try and stop him. Like, king, what are you doing? 
probably they would have turned to him and said, yo, king, chill. They probably wouldn't have said it that way, but you get my point. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, I'll begin reading in verse number 19. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, which was part of the sacrifice. And while he was angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him and there on his forehead, and he was leprous. So they thrust him out of the place. Indeed, he was hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. And the rest of the acts of of Uzziah from the first to the last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, wrote. So Isaiah rested on his father's, so Isaiah, so Uzziah rested with his father's, and then buried him with his fathers in the field of burial which belonged to the kings, and they said he was a leper. And Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. Verses before this, verse 16, says that King Uzziah's heart was lifted up. There is nobody above God's commands. No one. No office no reputation, no position puts you and I ahead of what thus saith the Lord. He was cut off from his people. He was cut off from the house of God. Lessons for all of us. And it's wonderful when you come to the Lord. It's wonderful when we give our hearts to the Lord. But it's also wonderful that we finish well. We need to run the entire race with him. It's in this year, this year of mourning, when King Uzziah dies, that, uh, that Isaiah has a vision. You see, in the, ye- in the year that this king died, Isaiah sees the real king. In the year that this king died, he gets a glimpse of who is in charge. I know we can have different thoughts about who's in charge in our land, but let me tell you, the person in charge is not sitting in the White House. The person in charge is seated on a throne in heaven. God is always on the throne. Isaiah learned that God's kingdom operates from a different set of principles. It operates according to God's will, not according to circumstances that are around us. Isaiah knew that the, knew the Lord before this moment. He had been following the Lord most of his life. He knew the Lord before Uzziah died, but here... He sees the Lord high and lifted up. Most of us have experienced difficult seasons. We've experienced tragedies and we've all been as a collective people through 14 months that we've never experienced before. I think most will agree that sometimes it takes difficulty and challenge and even tragedy before we're willing to get real with God and see him for who he truly is. That's when we learn that God is not only interested in getting you and I to heaven, he's interested in experiencing life with us each and every day in this life. 
In this vision, he saw the angels crying aloud. Verse 3 said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. No, the angels were not stuttering. That repeating of the word holy is a common literary device in Hebrew. You see, in English, when we want to emphasize something, we will underline it or put it in bold type or italicize it. In Hebrew, it's repeated. That's why you'll see in various places of the Bible where it'll say verily, verily, or truly, truly. It's trying to draw your attention to something. And when something was repeated twice, that was in Hebrew a way of saying this is important. If something was repeated three times, it was a stop the presses moment. This is really, really important that everyone had better listen to. And when it comes to all the attributes of God, we need to stop the presses and remind ourselves that he is holy. Holy, holy is the Lord God. What's interesting is that God has many attributes. But you see nowhere in the Bible where it says God is love, 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 or mercy, mercy, mercy. But God is holy, holy, holy. In verse 4, we begin to see the impact that this has on Isaiah personally. Their voices, as the angels were crying out to God, it shook the doorpost. It shook the place where they were. How many know when God experiences When he invades our experience, things start to shake. Hopefully, we start to shake a little bit. Hopefully, our foundations begin to crumble a little bit. Hopefully, we begin to let go of a couple of things that we've been holding on to for way too long. Things begin to shake when they enter into true worship. Sometimes we need a renewed awareness of just who God is. He's not just some concept, some idea that someone put together. He is God. We need a renewed awareness of what our lives truly need to be built upon. It's not our abilities. It's not our ingenuity. It's not our abilities to reason. It's not how wonderful we are. It's not how good-looking we are, although, admittedly, you're all extremely good-looking. But it's built on God and worshiping him in spirit and in truth. This is true no matter how long you've been serving him. We need to serve him well. Isaiah was a respected part of his society. He was revered honored, an amazing reputation. And all of those things were things he had earned. But when he came face to face with the holiness of God, all he could say was, woe is me. As some translations will say, I am ruined. Literally, he's saying in Hebrew, I'm coming apart at the seams. This righteous man, this very good man, could only pronounce woe to himself when coming face to face with the holiness of the Almighty God. 
The holiness of God not only opened his eyes to who God is, it opened his eyes to who he is himself. It didn't make him haughty. It didn't make him proud. It didn't make him holier than thou. Honestly, I've never understood the tendency to come into God's presence and come out of his presence thinking you somebody. Thinking you are somebody above anybody else. Coming away from God's presence should make us humble. Should make us realize that we didn't deserve to be in his presence. And it's the blessings of God that we didn't just crumble in his presence. Apparently the doors of the place where he was weren't the only things that were being shaken. And Isaiah declares... I am a man of unclean lips. Now, I had to think about that. Why unclean lips? Why not unclean heart or unclean mind or unclean actions? But he was specific. I am a man of unclean lips. Basically, what he was saying in his own language was, I have a dirty mouth. You see, we can get focused and the focus is proper that when we come to the Lord we need to clean up our act when we come to the Lord there are certain habits and certain things and even certain relationships that need to change but ultimately what happens on the outside is not the primary focus Jesus said it better in Matthew 15 verse 11 not what goes into the mouth that defiles a man but what comes out of the mouth that defiles a man. Good to focus on unclean habits. It's good to focus on unclean thoughts. But let's also, as Christians, with God's spirit working deep within us, focus on conquering unclean conversation. Oh, Pastor, now you've gone to meddling. Unclean conversation. What we say to one another. I'm trying to think of the last time I heard a political figure in our land say anything nice. I'm not even going to say profound, just something nice. Especially when talking about someone he or she did not agree with. What we say to one another, what we say about one another. We've come to a place in our culture where if you disagree with me, all of a sudden you've become evil because how dare you disagree with me? How we speak to one another. And then he says, not only am I a man of unclean lips, he says, I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Again, his holiness, his coming into the presence of God did not drive him away from people. It made him identify with people. It drove him toward them. It reminded him just how like everybody else I am. I don't understand the mentality that when we come closer to God and God begins to turn our life around and we look at people who haven't experienced that joy yet, that all of a sudden we're looking down on quote-unquote unholy people. But pastor, you don't realize I've been with a holy God. So now I'm holy. Oh, give me a break. Isaiah's vision is an amazing vision. 
Isaiah's vision is one we'd all like to have. And it didn't make him stuck up. It didn't make him a snob. It brought him down. The impact of being in God's presence brought him to a place where he realized that all his accomplishments, all of his
Lord is going to open his purpose for you. The closer you come to him, the more close you will come to ungodliness. And it will bring us to our mission. And we will work for his kingdom. Isaiah was sent to a people who were rebellious and self-assured. Isaiah was sent to a people who were sinful and disobedient. He was sent to a people who that had no interest in relating to anything that was even remotely godly. Sound familiar? Look around us today. And in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, the verses that follow, the Lord basically says, oh, and by the way, I'm going to send you to these people, and they're probably not going to listen. Again, sound familiar? But this was important work that he was sent to do. To proclaim the glory of God. To proclaim the message of the Lord. For that This is better. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. It is the common practice for this church that the first Sunday of each month we celebrate Holy Communion. Hopefully you were able to get one of these on the way in. If you don't, please raise your hand and we'll make sure you have one of these. Communion is when we remember a sacrifice that was made for you and me. Communion is when we recall to the front of our memories how Jesus did not consider it beneath him to come closer to you and me. And even though while on that cross, while in that place where he was being tortured, his first thoughts were, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. That is what holiness will do in your life and mine. Not take you away from people who just aren't getting it, but bring us closer to them. 
the Bible says we should examine ourselves. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a, a time to celebrate the Lord's table. And then we're going to spend some time at his altar today. Because we need to get a glimpse of him. Because this culture, our society, needs us to have a glimpse of him. A clean glimpse of him. That he is holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Father, we praise you today. We give you glory and honor in this place. We love you, Lord God. And we worship you and you alone. Lord, move powerfully in our midst today. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I'll give you a moment to navigate this feat of technology. The Bible says on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and said, this is my body broken for you. So he was thinking of you and me here today in St. James. Let's eat the bread together. The Bible also tells us that when the meal had ended, he took a cup and gave thanks and said, this is my blood 